Well, there's a few things that I like to do. If you know much about me, you know that I'm a people watcher. I love to watch people. I, I go to an amusement park, take a bunch of youth kids there, go to the amusement park, and I sit on the bench and, while they go on rides, and I just love, to, just love to people watch. One thing I actually like is being at a party or an event or something like that and watching uh, cooks, good cooks, getting together and, you know, team effort, cooking together and doing a taste test of something. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And they look at each other and they'll say this, something is missing. There's a lot of things like that in life, aren't there? It's good, but it could be better or it could be a lot better. And you just say to yourself, something is not right. Something is missing. I actually think that that could describe the Christian life of many followers of Jesus. Something is missing, and it's hard to put a finger on it. Like many things in life, the answer is often obvious, so obvious that it's easy to miss. Why? Because it's right in front of us. We've seen it so many times before, but it just somehow we haven't connected the dots. When we read the, the Gospels, the Christian life uh, for the first disciples starts in the same way it does for anyone. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is, this is how it goes. I'm glad that you're with us today, and, and this is really how it goes. We realize that something is wrong with our lives. We realize that something is missing in our lives. Uh, perhaps we hear a message from, from God or, or events in our lives happen, and, and somehow we come to the realization that we're, we're sinners, and we're not so sure how to deal with it when we think about God being holy and perfect, and that we realize then that we need a Savior for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And then we hear what theologians call, there's different names for it, but we hear, we'll just simplify it, the call of Jesus, a simple call from Jesus. It often goes like this, follow me. Or come, follow me. Or perhaps the most famous call, I think, in the entirety of this scripture is what we just read, Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. I want to read it twice to you. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, let's go slowly. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden. Some versions say all of you who are weary and are burdened. Some versions add in weary and overburdened. And Jesus says, I will give you rest. That's doesn't sound great. You know what it's like sometimes you, you, you sleep, you get, you get what would be considered to be a good night's sleep, and you wake up, and you're more tired than when you went to bed, and you're just like, I'm not getting any rest. Jesus then says, take my yoke. Now, what's a yoke? You say, that's easy, Pastor Jim. It's part of an egg. No, that's what he's talking about. Something here is different. A yoke is that wooden beam that, that would be used to attach two animals to, to each other to plow in the field so they would stay together. So you put a yoke over two oxen and they would, they would plow the field. And, and we, want to be, we want to take Jesus' yoke upon him, he says, take my yoke upon you. Now, we have to understand that there's going to have to be some changes in our lives. I want you to give you a visual picture for a second. Uh, let's just imagine 
that uh, Jesus is the ox and you and I are turtles. How would that look? Let me just get that visual. So obviously, things are going to have to change in our lives. And so they're, they're animals take my yoke, these wooden beam, to be attached. We have to be attached to Jesus. And he oft, Jesus often compared this, his yoke to the yoke of religion and the religion of his day. And, and today, I would say, while the religion of his day was very burdensome, I would say most people I know today that would describe themselves of religious as being religious find it to be very unfulfilling. And, and to, in religion, God is, is very, very distant, whereas God wants a relationship with us. He wants us to be uh, yoked with us. Once again, I'm sorry I have to use a, a grandchild example. Uh, well, my, my little grandson, Noah, who's two, comes over our house. He loves our kitty cat, or he, as he calls him, Kit Kat. And he'll always uh, come up to me, and he can't say, come here, and he can't say, grandpa. So he just says, Mirpa, Mirpa. And he grabs my hand, and because he's afraid the cat's going to jump out at him. And so he is yoked to me, and then we are walking all throughout the house looking for the cat to torture or the cat to try and pet, and he gets a little freaked out at Noah sometimes. And so he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, Jesus says, is easy, and my burden is light. Now that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? And for many people who become followers of Jesus, that's the way it starts out. It seems like the weight of the world has been lifted off your shoulders. It seems like now you're yoked to Jesus, but somehow he's kind of just carrying all the weight. He's carrying you along. But then, after a while, if you're not careful, things start to get heavy again, and maybe your faith starts to waver. And you may notice, which I'm repeating it so many times, the, the title of the message, Something is Missing you notice something is missing. And it's often because, I believe, with good intentions, we get off track ever so slightly. And we begin to shift our focus a lot of times into really, really good things. Our faith becomes about something other than Jesus, more about activities. We become all about good works, which... This may be a shock to some of you if you're not followers of Jesus. You know, your good works actually count for nothing before you become a follower of Jesus. But they count for a lot of things after you become a follower of Jesus. That's what part of being a follower of Jesus is. God no longer counts your sins against you, but now counts, he counts them against Jesus. But now he counts your good works for you. But sometimes we lose track of Jesus because we want to do good works. Some people are now absorbed in the religion of politics. Politics is, is, is really everything to them, and they have forgotten about Jesus. Some people, only, they only want to talk about the miraculous. Other people, they get obsessed with, with the end times, that Jesus is coming back any minute. Or other people, it's apologetics. How can I prove to people that Christianity is true? Other people, it's evangelism. You know, I'm going to go out and share Jesus with people. I'm all about evangelism. Pray the prayer. Come into the kingdom. This is it. Come. Jesus said, come, right? And that's, that's all it's about. And again, these are, these, are, these are good things. 
well-intentioned. Maybe we want to start a Christian business. We want to be a Christian businessman or woman. Maybe it's we, we throw our, our hat into the ring of Christian education. We really believe in that good thing, or it's homeschooling. You really want to jump on the homeschooling thing and Good, good stuff. Lots of good stuff. But you realize that somehow it's shifted to be your priority instead of coming out of Jesus being your priority. Other times we we get off track with not good stuff. We get in with a bad crowd or we get into some bad habits or we never never really gave that habit over to Jesus. We, we gave him, you know, 90% of our life, but 10% we didn't give to him. And, and, the, and the weight of sin seems to just still be crushing us. Maybe you'll do what some people do. Many people say, well, I'll just find the new, cool, hip church down the block or the ones that my neighbors go to or something like that. And so you go there and it's all hyped up and you, you meet some of the people there, and you realize that a lot of them are in the same sins that you're involved in. And, and they don't really seem to care that much about it. Living a holy life, living a life for God, which is the same, what's got you in such a knot, that they, they don't really want to do that. And they'll say, hey, man, it's about grace. It's all about grace. God forgives all of your sins. And yet you realize things are just getting worse inside your heart. They're getting worse inside your soul. Before you know it, in your life, it feels like there's no real firm foundation. The storms of life are absolutely wiping you out. There's no real joy in your life. You don't really experience the presence of God in your life. And you're not even really able to recognize or enjoy the blessings that God gives you. You may go on like this for years and not even realize it, and wondering how you got there. You're going to church every week. You're like, I'm faithful, I'm serving, but something just just missing. Your Christian life has become unfulfilling, if it ever was. And to be honest, the whole thing has now become disappointing to you. In fact, for some of you, I know this, Some of you, it is very disappointing. Your Christian disciplines of of meeting with God in His Word, talking to Him in prayer, uh, going to Sunday worship, and I'm not just talking about being in the building, but actually worshiping God and, and, and serving God. I'm not talking about doing a task. I'm actually doing it as if you were doing it for Jesus himself. You're meeting with other Christians, which we call fellowship. Your, your, your generosity the desire to be part of the work of the Lord, it just is fading or it's completely disappeared. Sometimes you stop or sometimes you're doing it. You're in a body, you're doing it, but you know it's not real to you. What has happened to you? What has happened to your friends that you've seen this happen to? Well, I can tell you this. After 30 years of being a follower of Jesus, long, well, actually a little longer than that, and and half of that time in Christian ministry in terms of what I do now, I think I know what the problem is for a lot of people. I was reading through this recently, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's it, Lord. That's, that's it. Now, trust me, 
when I read something and I say, oh, that's the problem. I'm not thinking of you sinners out there. That means that, that God has spoken to me, that I am just as prone to this as anyone because I have said to myself many, many times before, something is missing, Lord. Something is not right with me. What is it? Why, Lord, is the, your yoke not easy for me? Why is your burden seemingly so heavy for me? And the answer is, dare I say, embarrassingly simple. It is very, very simple. And, and part of the problem is, you know, when someone, something is wrong or broken or sick, is identifying the problem before you can fix it. So what is it? It is very easy for us to detach ourselves from the yoke of Jesus and start carrying the heavy burden on our own. Let me say that again. It is very easy for us to detach ourselves from the yoke of Jesus and to start carrying that heavy burden on our own. So let's hear our text for today from John 15. Now we're going to skip a few verses. We're going to skip verses 1 through 3. We'll come back to them next week, Lord willing. And look at verse 4. John 15, 4. It's the night before the cross. Jesus says this. Abide in me. Some of your verses say, remain in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. What happens to a vine that's not attached to the branch? It, it just dies. And what good is a dead vine? No good. Okay, so he says, As a branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide or remain in me. Now, did you notice that the, the word abide was three times in that one verse? Now, let's just realize that that's because God wants us to pay attention, but let's also just go back 2,000 years ago. Not everybody had a copy of the Bible. So a lot of it was verbally spoken to people or be read to the people in the congregation. So when God wanted you to focus on a word, he repeated it over and over again. Also, a lot of the people were illiterate, so they couldn't read. So they were, how did they learn the word of God? Through hearing. Faith comes by hearing, the scripture says, and hearing the word of God. So that's why these words are repeated all uh, over and over again for them to learn by hearing, but us by reading it going, wow, why does he keep saying the same word over and over again? Now, please listen, friends. This is very, very important. Some of us are so familiar with the call of Jesus from Matthew chapter 11. Again, if you've been around the church a long time, we studied it when we went through Matthew's gospel. But some of us are so familiar with Jesus' call to come in Matthew 11 and so familiar with Jesus telling his disciples in John 15 to abide, we're so familiar with them that we miss the connection between them. They're, they're, it's intimately connected teaching. You see, because the apostles had already come to Jesus, and now, the night before the cross, he's telling them, you've got to abide in me. You've got to remain in me. Now, we believe that the Last Supper's over. Jesus says we're going to go. We'll talk about that in a second. It appears that Judas has left 
to betray Jesus. And perhaps in some way, Jesus is warning the other apostles not to become like Judas. You say, how so? Judas came to Jesus. At some point in time, Jesus said to Judas, come, follow me. And Judas did. But what? He didn't stay. He didn't stay. He, 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 he came to Jesus. He followed Jesus for a bit, but he didn't stay. Now, Peter's going to have to learn this lesson the hard way because he comes to Jesus. He wants to stay, but he denies him three times. So he has to find out what really lurks inside him and how easy it is for all of us to stray. So we'll say that Judas didn't stay and Peter strayed because the call involves coming, following, staying, and keep following, which here we see is the word abiding. Here the, the key to joy and, and staying power in the Christian life, and we'll be looking at that for the next few weeks, Jesus doesn't just say to them, stay with me. He doesn't just say, stay with me. He says, abide in me. Now, we don't save ourselves. The scripture says we are saved by grace through faith. However, here it appears that we have an active part in our Christian growth, our Christian development, if you will, our Christian maintenance. At the Last Supper, in chapter 13 and 14 of John's Gospel, Jesus was teaching the apostles and teaching us what he's doing now. He is supplying us with the Holy Spirit. He's preparing a place for us in heaven. And at the end of chapter 14, he says to them, Arise, let us go from here. And chapter 15 begins, Jesus begins teaching us what his followers must be and what we must do if we are to stay at this thing, the Christian life, long-term, and we are to experience the joy and the blessings of this life. What is it? It's to abide, to, to be continually attached to Jesus, and followers of Jesus will be fruitful, and that's really what this whole passage is about, and most of us feel like there's no fruit in our lives, and there's probably a lot more in a lot of your lives than you think, but it's because if we're not abiding, we're maybe perhaps not seeing it, but he wants us to be continually attached to him and be fruitful in the kingdom of God. Now, when I talk about being fruitful, for some of you, you just immediately think, oh, gosh, you know, that just sounds like more work. That just sounds like more stuff to do. But remember what Jesus said in Matthew. He said, my burden is easy, right? It's light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. If what? John 15, if you abide, if you remain in Jesus, now, I know this, a lot of you, a lot of us are weary and need rest. And today, Jesus calls all of us to abide in him, to stay attached to him, 
And interestingly enough, the result of abiding and staying attached to him is rest and a fruitful life. Now you're like, how does that work? Well, that's what we're going to be exploring. There's a huge enemy of the Christian life. Self-inflicted weariness. Huge, huge enemy of the Christian life. And the cure is abiding in Jesus. A lot of people are spiritually thirsty. They're like, you know, I'm so dry, I'm so dry. What is the answer to being spiritually thirsty? Abiding in Jesus. So it's interesting, just before Jesus said, let's go, he actually said this to them, uh, chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Now, it's almost like he's saying, hey, guys, let's go out and get it. Let's go out and, let's get, I'm going to leave you with peace. Let's go out and grab it for ourselves. Now, let me remind you, this is a very stressful time. The religious leaders are, are, want Jesus because they want to kill him. The Roman Empire, it's Passover week, and they're just tired of the Jews, and they don't like all the commotion that this Jesus of Nazareth has caused in town. And, and at the end of chapter 14, we'll read a, some of chapter 14 in a minute, but, but I'm not, I'm not going to specifically read uh, one thing that Jesus said. Jesus actually told the apostles that Satan was coming for them. <laughs> You're like, really, that's not very positive and uplifting, Jesus. What's the deal with that? And that he's going to go die on the cross. Yet he says, I leave you with peace. How can that be? Abiding. Right now in the United States, I don't know that we really are portraying to the world, the rest of the country, as being a people of peace. I think some people see us as a people of hype. We're just, everything's great and when, when there's real problems going on in our country. Let's not, let's not ignore that. Or they see us as being rebellious. We're not going to do what, what, what any state or any governor or any president or any, any health official. We're not going to do what anybody tells us to do. Or they just see a lot of other people who are just completely down in the dumps like, like Jesus doesn't even, doesn't even live. And in all of those things, it's so important for us to remember, I'm not saying we don't let some of this stuff you know, weigh on our hearts. We constantly, you know, the Philippians tells us to you know, you know, be anxious for nothing but to bring it to God in prayer. But, but when it comes to, you know, some of the things that are, that, that are going on, you know, and, and people just being so angry about everything, let's not forget that, that 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul said, your life, Christian, and my life is not our own. We were bought with a price. And so how we live in this time is very, very important so what is abiding? Well, you know, there's the Jesus illustration will be in the weeks to come, um, and, I, and he will make it clear to us, and I believe it will open the eyes of many. But I know for a lot of you, when you think about abiding, you've already admitted defeat or you fear all the obstacles. While I hope that some of you are beginning to get excited, this is all I ask you in the weeks to come. Um, I'm asking you to bring a willing heart. Just bring a willing heart. Just that's all you got to bring. Be, 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 what does that mean? Be, be ready to come, follow, 
stay with Jesus and abide with Jesus and give them some time. And it it will, I'm being honest with you, it's going to take some effort on your part, but let's again think of it as grace-motivated effort. I'm motivated by God's grace and love towards me and mercy towards me to put in the effort. Well, okay, what is abiding, you ask, all right? Well, it depends upon who you ask. Clearly, in this passage, it's about discipleship. It's about loving one another. It's about fruitfulness. Uh, I would say, if you want to encapsulate it, it it's, it's, a, it's a life that is centered on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, there's different camps on what that means. Some say it's uh, about having all of your doctrinal ducks in a row. Now, that's very important, but there's just some things that are just beyond our understanding. But that's important. Others say it's it's about love. But that's a big challenge because it's not, sometimes we think of certain people and, you know, they're very loving. Oh, they're such a loving and kind and loving person. But, but they're not the person you're going to call in the middle of the night when, you need, when you've got a flat tire. They're not the person that, that, you're gonna, that you can really count on to do anything because they're loving, but they're not really serving people. And that's a lot of what this chapter is about. Uh, some people say uh, it's, it's, abiding is about a biblical, life-changing experience with Jesus. So, so what do I think it is? I think it's about having your doctrine and teaching right. I think it's about being loving, aggressively loving, and actively loving people. And I think it's about a life-changing experience with Jesus. I think it's about all three of them. So what would it mean in terms of a church? In terms of a church, it would mean solid, accurate, biblical teaching, not just making it up as you go along. It would be about the love of Jesus, meaning by that it would be for Jesus and for his people in the house of the Lord. It would be a meaningful experience of of joyful worship that, that really, you know, does not portrays sadness, but portrays how much you love God and how much you're grateful for Jesus and the power of his spirit. In other words, church really could be a taste of heaven. It really could be. I think, I think in life, it, it's, it's, it's daily meeting with Jesus. It's, it's making time for Jesus it's being filled with right thinking from the Word of God. Remember last week in Psalm 1, it talked about, about meditating on the Word of the Lord day and night. It's about, as the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, we talked about this last week, about renewing our mind. It's about letting God change our desires. And see, that's a big part of the problem that a lot of people have is they, they're like, oh, well, God doesn't want me to do this because they have not let the word of God form their desires. You know, there, there's an old expression that goes something like this. Let me see if I can remember it. Um, you're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. <laughs> think about that. You're not what you think you are. You might think you're this, but the way you think is really what you are. So, so it's daily walking with Jesus, being filled with right thinking in our own lives. It's, it's loving Jesus and 
people, serving Jesus and people, that, that, that's living the Christian life. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I, I want to maybe just tell you something. This is not seeking less out of life. This is, think, this is seeking way more out of life. Way more. People think, oh, it's going to be this boring life. Not at all. And so John 15, I think, assumes good teaching and right living, but also brings us into a new experience of walking with Jesus. In other words, we might call this, uh, it's about non-weird, both feet on the ground, daily experience of being attached to Jesus that gives us strength and joy for living in this world. So to set the, the, the tone a little bit for John 15, let's go back to chapter 14 and pick it up at verse 19. Once again, we're at the, the Last Supper. Jesus says this, A little while longer and the world will see me no more, uh, but you will see me. They must have been like, what he talks? We don't really understand what he's talking about half the time. Because I live, you will, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me. That's a strange thing. And I in you, he who has my commandments. Now, we're only supposed to obey God's commandments, but he's saying my commandments. So who is he saying he is? He's saying he's God. He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, not a big popular name these days, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? So, so what what's, makes us so different? Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, so here we have our Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. So that, that gives us a clue going into chapter 15 that the words of Jesus are going to be very, very important in this abiding so we come to chapter 15, and John 15 is about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit creating a supernatural life in you and through you that bears fruit. So the metaphor is we are a branch that is attached to a vine, and the vine sustains the life of the branch, okay, unlike anything else can. So John 15 is going to bring us into the reality of being in Christ, of the union we have with Christ, but this is where we have to understand abiding. For a lot of people, coming to Jesus and then say, well, I came and then, you know, I'm a Christian, but I just, I'm not walking with the Lord or I'm doing my own thing, but, you know, I, I'm, still, I'm still a Christian Abiding, being a Christian, is not some brief, if you will, love affair. It's not some temporary thing. 
It is, it is building a lifelong, intimate, and loving relationship with God. Now again, becoming a Christian, or being saved as we call it, having the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, because putting our trust in Jesus instead of ourselves for the forgiveness of sins, is all made possible by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and our response to that. How do you respond to that, friend? That is the essence of Christian faith. So what is a Christian? What is a Christian? Let's, not, let's forget about what we, what we think about it here in America or what some people think about it or what you check off on a, you know, on a, you're in the hospital or at the doctor's office or the, some poll or something like that. Let's forget about all that. A Christian is someone who comes into, because of what Jesus has done and the offer of salvation, going to heaven, having your sins forgiven, a Christian is someone who comes into a living relationship with Jesus Christ and the life of Christ begins to flow through them. We're not, we're not cul-de-sacs of grace. We're not dead-end streets. We're, we're, we're conduits. We're like a highway of grace. It, it comes from God to us, to others. Yet, for many, what the Lord is doing in and through you has given way to what he is doing for you. Expecting things from God that he never said that he would give to us. And it has led to disappointment. Now, if you have seatbelts, you might want to put them on. God has designed the Christian life in such a way that when we seek things other than him, Jesus said, seek the kingdom and his righteousness, and the other things will be added to you as, as well. God has designed us when we seek other things. We believe the, the promises of the false teachers, that if you, if you believe in Jesus, you'll, 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 you'll always be rich, and you'll never be sick, and you'll, you'll have, everything will be great for you all the time. If you believe those lies and they don't come true, you're going to be disappointed because you believed a lie. And God has actually designed you and I and lets providence or the, the, the events of our life happen. So we will be disappointed. Not so we walk away from him, but so we walk away from the lies. We walk away from the darkness and we step into the light of the truth. Now what's difficult and yet necessary in this is in chapter 14, verse 20, he says, you are in me. In chapter 15, verse 4, he says, abide in me, and both follow with, and I'm in you. I think for a lot of us as Christians, it's a lot easier to wrap our arms around Christ living in us than us being in Jesus. But, but that's a key to understand that. Now, some of you are going like, ah, oh, I don't know what to do. Oh, breathe easy. Breathe easy. The Apostle Paul rescues us, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. He says that God the Father put Christ in us. Okay? And he put us in Christ. So God is the one who puts us in Christ. So what's our part? 
We don't have to have the pressure. We, when he says, abide in me, you and me, what's our part? Our part is to remain there. And we remain there by abiding in Christ. Now, the fact that God puts all who turn and put their trust in Jesus in Christ serves as our confidence and our security that we belong there. Some of you think, well, I don't really belong there. No, no, God, that's what God does. And, and also comes with that is trusting that the Lord has made it possible, if you've put your trust in Jesus, for you to stay there. He's made it possible for you to abide in him. But not only do we belong to God, John 15 shows us how to abide in Christ and how the Lord produces fruit in us and through us. I was thinking recently of, I've seen her speak a couple times about a great example of this. One of the, one of the modern day heroes of the faith I think we have is a woman by the name of Joni Erickson Tata. If you know her story, she's 70 now. But uh, when she was in high school, she dove off a, uh, you know, one of those platforms out in the lake, and it was much shallower than she thought, and she landed immediately on her head, and she became uh, quadriplegic, and she's been in a wheelchair her entire life. And I remember hearing her say this one time, and I, and I think I read it, that she said it, and I tell you, I was just blown away, man. I was, I was like, that's an abider. That's an abider. I'm paraphrasing what she said. She said something like this. God could have healed me, but he did a greater miracle than healing me. He put a smile on my face. Man, some of us are so blessed. And we're walking around with such long faces. And she needs someone, she needs her husband to, to pick her up out of bed every day and, and get her ready and, you know, move her here and move her there and get her ready to go to bed at night and stuff like that. Everything must take five times longer, you know, than, than it takes for us, ten times longer. And yet, she's not bitter about it. I'm sure people told her that if she had more faith, she could get up and walk out of that wheelchair. But she says, oh, no, 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 greater miracle. Greater miracle has been done. I'm not sour about it. He's put a, put a smile on my face. So, so, so what's our part? Our part is to stay connected to Jesus. Our part is to yield ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit that comes through the word of God and prayer and then being fruitful and doing what he says. I think the goal is, is like this. Trying to live in the presence of God, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. Kids, ask your mom and dad if that can be your memory verse for the week. Nice and short. Pray without ceasing. Other versions say pray continually or pray constantly. But how about that famous verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, God has put us in there, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But here is the soul-searching question. 
Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? Seriously, are, are, in addition to just be saying, well, I trusted in Jesus, I'm going to heaven, are you ready for God to make big positive changes in your life, make your life fruitful, make your life full of joy, make it full of love, or do you want to stay the same? I love the old expression, change is here to stay. That's the Christian life. And while it's not always easy, with Jesus, I know it's always for my good and for his glory. All because you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to you. And if you let it, that will change your intimacy with God and that will change your whole life. That will change the, the conversations from, maybe I got to get out of this thing, or, oh, when's God coming? When God, some people walk around, all they care about is God's coming. Not because they want to see his face, but because for them, life is so miserable all of the time. And God wants to change that too. I can't wait to see his, his face, but praise the Lord, he remains with us because I remain in him, which means that he's already here. How important is abiding? Jesus is teaching this to his disciples. How important is John 15? He is teaching this to his disciples between the Last Supper and the Garden of Gethsemane and the cross. In a matter of hours, he will be on a cross. These are part of his parting words. Jesus is leaving the work of the gospel to the apostles and the church. So fruit and growth and joy will be possible if we're connected to Jesus, but impossible if we are not connected to Jesus. Much of the world will be against followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus will suffer and will wonder where God is and will wonder if God loves me and will wonder if God cares. Many will fall away. Others will constantly be saying, something is missing. And they will be right if they are not abiding in Christ. So the first step to new life in Jesus Christ is to step into the kingdom of God. Come to Jesus. All of you who are weary and overburdened. All of you who know you've experienced that religion is not the answer. Let Jesus take the weight of your sin off your shoulders and place it onto himself on the cross. Turn to God. Put your trust in Jesus, but don't leave. Stay. Abide. Follow. Be close to Jesus. In the weeks to come, my prayer is that John 15 will open our hearts and minds to a new way of living where we can honestly say, not because we're inactive, but being active in kingdom work, that Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. So instead of going, going around or thinking something is missing, we'll be able to say that something has changed. A new experience of being attached to Jesus, an experience of the abundant life that Jesus promised for us all. Well, let's pray.